Mr. Rogers once said, when we talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. Hi, I'm Sherry Todd, a former DJ, now a podcaster. Every week, I hope to take you on an adventure that informs, inspires, and starts conversations. I want to get honest, and I want to get to the heart of life and love. There's going to be good days, bad days, good shows, bad shows. And just like life, we have to figure it out. And I want to figure it out loud. Welcome to Sherapy. Welcome to Sherapy. I'm Sherry Todd. Now, first, let me explain. I'm not a therapist or a psychiatrist. I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, sharing my journey in hopes of healing. The issues I may talk about are from research and personal experience, and they may trigger some people. So please take that into account as you listen. Thank you for tuning in to part four of my eight-part series, Healing from Child Sexual Abuse. In part one, we dealt with the damage from child sexual abuse. Part two, I talked about how we coped. And in part three, we learned about some skills you can use to help as you navigate the waters of healing. In part four, I'm going to discuss working with a counselor and how it can be one of the many helpful tools to help with healing. Also, how remembering is part of the healing process. And by facing down those memories, you'll realize they can't hurt you anymore as you move forward in healing. So, counseling. Now, the support of a skilled counselor can be extremely helpful in healing. For survivors who were hurt by the people closest to them, one of the most valuable things about seeing a therapist might be that you have an opportunity to trust again. When choosing a counselor, be willing to put effort into finding the right one. You don't have to with the first person you see, and even if you are in crisis, don't commit yourself to a long-term therapy relationship until you feel confident that you've got the right person. Ask for recommendations from friends, other survivors, or trusted family members. GoodTherapy.org is a website that can help you find a counselor in your area. Now, once you've narrowed down your choices, meet with two or three you like the most. One woman went to six counselors, one each week until she found the person she wanted to work with. When you're evaluating potential counselors, here are some helpful guidelines your prospective counselors should have. A counselor should never minimize your experiences or pain should be knowledgeable about the healing process for adults sexually abused as children, should keep the focus on you and not your abuser, should give you room to explore your own history without trying to define it for you, shouldn't push you to reconcile with or forgive the abuser, shouldn't be friends with you outside of counseling, and they shouldn't talk about his or her personal problems, shouldn't be sexual with you now or ever in the future, should respect all of your feelings, shouldn't force you to do anything you don't want to do, should encourage you to build a support system outside of therapy, should teach you skills for taking care of yourself, should be willing to discuss problems that occur in the therapy relationship, should be accountable for mistakes that he or she makes. Ask questions to get a sense of the counselor's attitudes and experience. There may also be a particular issue that matters to you. For instance, you may want someone familiar with alcoholism or eating disorders. Many survivors prefer working with a woman because they feel safer. 
Other survivors have benefited from working with a male therapist because they wanted a safe relationship in which they could learn to trust a man again. Once you've talked to several counselors, compare the way you felt when you spoke with each of them. With whom did you feel the strongest connection? Where were you more at ease? Compare their availability, philosophies, and fears. Which one will make the better fit? Now, are you one who has been avoiding counseling? According to Estes Therapy, there are many reasons people avoid therapy. Some are money. Yes, coming to counseling will cost money. But think of counseling as an investment in your life. It's okay to put yourself first and spend money getting back on track. It's worth it in the long run. And some insurances will cover counseling. And there are some services that offer free and low-cost counseling. A simple Google search may help. Now, sometimes you might have heard horrible stories from a friend or another loved one about counseling gone bad. Counseling is different for each person, and it's important not to let someone else's bad experience steer you clear of counseling. You yourself may have gone to counseling before and didn't think it helped you. Remember that each counselor is different and many use entirely different styles and theories. Instead of writing off all counseling, look for a counselor who uses a different approach than your previous counselor. Some people feel counseling is only for crazy people. No, counseling isn't just for crazy people. Counseling can address so many issues and is really just a safe space to talk freely about what you're going through and to get help moving forward. Now, there could be privacy concerns. If you're a private or reserved person, it seems intimidating to open up in front of a complete stranger. It's true. You might also have reservations about repeating personal conversations. However, a good counselor will make you feel comfortable, and over time, you can actually feel quite safe about being honest in counseling. And, of course, anything you say in counseling is completely confidential and won't be repeated. Asking for help is hard. If you pride yourself on being self-sufficient, stepping into a counselor's office might feel like you're letting yourself down. You might think you can handle your problems on your own and asking for help means you're weak. On the contrary, counseling helps you build a stronger self-esteem and learn new tools for handling whatever life throws at you. You're not weak for reaching out. The thought of tackling a big problem is overwhelming, so you might procrastinate going to counseling or avoid it altogether. This won't make your problems disappear, however, and things just might get a whole lot worse. Your counselor will help you tackle issues piece by piece and give you realistic goals so you won't be overwhelmed. And drudging up the past is scary. Bringing up the past isn't fun, And the thought of going back to your childhood might be a deal breaker for many people considering counseling. Yes, you will probably have to bring up some past issues. But keep in mind that these issues will be there whether you enter counseling or not. Now, after you made the decision to seek counseling, how do you know it's working? What does good counseling feel like? When you work with a good counselor, you should feel understood and supported. You should feel warm and caring, and that should happen early in the therapy process. However, you can't always judge 
whether you're with a good therapist by the way you feel in the moment. Some women experience counseling as a haven they can't wait to get to. Others dread every session and have to force themselves to go. Counseling is not always comfortable, but you know you're with a good counselor if you develop more and more skills and are taking care of yourself as time goes on. Although your relationship with your therapist may be tremendously significant to you, it's essential that you not relinquish all your power in the counseling relationship. Remember that you are the center of your life and your healing, and a good counselor is only one of the many tools you will use in healing. Remembering. Remembering will be one of the hardest feelings you will go through in or out of counseling. Healing requires coming to terms with your past. The experience of remembering abuse varies greatly from survivor to survivor. Many women have always remembered their abuse. They may have minimized its importance, denied its impact on their lives, or been numb to their feelings, but they have never forgotten the events themselves. Some women have blocked out entire segments of their childhood. Other survivors have selective or partial memory. Survivors sometimes remember physical or emotional abuse, but not the sexual abuse. Remembering is different for every survivor. You may have numerous memories, or you may have just one. You might have new images every day for weeks, or you may experience your memories in clumps, several in a matter of days, then none for months. Some survivors remember one abuser or a specific kind of abuse, only to remember years later another abuser or a different form of abuse. Remembering sexual abuse or any traumatic event is not like remembering ordinary, non-threatening experiences. When traumatic memories return, They sometimes seem distant, like something you're observing from far away. If memories come to you in fragments, you may find it hard to place them in order. You may not know exactly when the abuse began, how old you were, or when it stopped. The process of understanding the fragments can be like putting together a jigsaw puzzle. These memories or flashbacks can be so vivid that you feel as though you're experiencing them all over again. But not everyone has a visual recall. One woman was upset that she couldn't get any images. Her father had held her at knife point in a car, face down in the dark, and raped her. She had never seen anything, but she had heard him. And when she began to write the scene in Spanish, her native language, it all came back to her, his threats, his brutality, his violation. Flashbacks can involve any of the senses. What you heard, smell, saw, tasted, felt, or thought can feel as though you're actually reliving the original experience. When it comes to sense memory, often it's a particular touch or smell or sound that triggers a memory. You might remember when you returned to the town, the house, or the room where the abuse took place, or when you smell a certain aftershave the abuser wore. Memories arise under many different circumstances. Difficult or painful events 
may proceed remembering. You may experience a loss such as a divorce, retirement, menopause, or a death of a loved one, and may feel as though everything in your life is unraveling. A medical treatment, a trip to the dentist, a gynecologist exam, or other invasive medical procedures can also jar loose buried feelings and images. But memories don't always surface in dramatic ways. While visiting a friend, one woman suddenly heard herself talking about being abused as a child for the first time. Many survivors remember their abuse once they get sober, quit drugs, or stop eating compulsively. These and other addictions can numb your feelings and block memories of abuse. But once you stop, the memories often resurface. Many women are too scared to remember while their abusers are still alive. Although remembering sometimes may feel like you're emotionally detached, when you remember with feeling the helplessness, terror, and physical pain, it can be as real as any actual experience. Sexual arousal may also accompany your memories, and this may horrify you, but arousal is a natural response to sexual stimulation. You don't have to be ashamed. You might recall feeling close. You might remember the pleasure of having the attention of someone you loved. Disgusting horror are not the only feelings that accompany memories. There's no right way to feel, but you must feel, even if it sends you reeling. Having to experience feelings is one of the roughest parts of remembering. Few survivors feel they have control over their memories. Many feel that their memories have control over them, that they don't choose the time or the place that a new memory will emerge. You may be able to fight them off for a time, but the price of nightmares, headaches, and exhaustion is not worth it. Not everyone can tell when a memory is coming, but many survivors do get warnings. Your stomach may get tight, you may sleep poorly, or you may have frightening dreams. Sometimes when you resolve one group of memories, another will make its way to the surface. The impact of new memories will shift over time. And new memories don't take anything away from the healing you've already done. The process of coming to terms with your history is different for every survivor. If you remember very little of your abuse or of your whole childhood, it may be hard to define your experiences clearly. But if you are in deep pain, there's a reason for your distress. You're not crazy to be feeling so much pain. Although your desire to know and name your experience may feel urgent, but it often takes time to explore your past. Try to be patient with yourself. It's better in the long run to acknowledge your uncertainty than to prematurely put a label on something that you're not sure of. Don't rush. You can move forward in your healing even if you don't know exactly what happened. There are record of what we've endured and though our past may hold pain and suffering, healing allows us to emerge from the past with strength, joy, and hope for the future. Now here's this week's writing exercise. It's called, I Remember. Now what you need to do is write for 10 minutes, beginning with the words, I Remember. You can write about any aspect of your childhood, After 10 minutes, do the same thing beginning with the words, I don't remember, continuing for 10 minutes without stopping. 
by doing this exercise, it can help you bring to surface some memories hidden and maybe help you understand where your healing is going. I did this exercise and here's what I wrote. I remember, I remember feeling lonely, feeling afraid. I felt like I was in a fog. I remember times of fun and happiness with my mom and siblings playing games, laughing, until Jack came home and we would all scramble to our rooms out of fear, never knowing what kind of mood he may be in. I remember feeling like an outsider with all the neighborhood kids. I was always quiet and wanted to participate, never did, felt this way also in school, very quiet. I remember being summoned to his bedroom and being told to lock the door behind me. I remember my brothers and sisters asking why I was in the room and I always lied and said I was being punished. I remember wishing I had never been born. I remember Christmas as a time of excitement that always turned into disappointment, fear, and anger with Jack ruining it because of too much alcohol. I remember summers spent being locked out of the house. I remember a closet full of belts. I don't remember feeling safe. I don't remember feeling loved. I don't remember any family vacations. I don't remember Disneyland, though we went a few times. I don't remember what a family is supposed to be. I don't remember a lot because I do remember everything. I know some people, that's all I wrote. So, <laughs> so some people wish they can remember because they don't remember anything and they wish they could remember. I'm just kind of like the opposite. I sometimes wish I don't remember. I wish I could walk around and, you know, oblivious to everything. So that was my exercise. What did I learn from it? I, you know, a lot of the things that I remember, I, I've already, I talked about it in the first episode. So it, it's like I said, I remember everything. So everything I spoke about and so much more can be found in this book, The Courage to Heal by Ellen Bass and Laura Davis. I highly recommend this book for survivors of child sexual abuse, including male survivors. Also, if you are close friends, lovers, whatever, of somebody who's gone through this, it's a good book to read so you can kind of understand what child sexual abuse survivors kind of go through. It's available on Amazon. Now, if you have any thoughts or questions, my email address is podcast at sherrypwithsherrytodd.com. Now, don't forget to follow on Facebook or Instagram. And if you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Next week, part five of Healing from Child Sexual Abuse, I'll talk about how believing it happened and breaking the silence is the most important part of healing. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Sherapy. And as always, remember to embrace your voice and vote. See you. Bye. You can find Sherapy with Sherry Todd in your iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or other favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.